Welcome everybody to the Faking Notes podcast. So today is an extra special day. And of course, every day is extra special. But one of the things, if you recall, we we always hope to do is to bring on people who are doers, who've gone out and done things, who have big ideas. And we've always, to this date, uh, been able to bring in people who are in music or music adjacent. And one of our missions, we always did from the outset, was to go out and bring in other people, people of other types of backgrounds. And I think we found just the, the right person to bring on in this instance. She is from the, the land of the theater and choreography, but has done much, much more uh, from winding up out on the, the big leagues of your, your Broadways and off-Broadways, but then finding a way through directing, writing, teaching, voiceover, nonprofits, give-back concerts, speaking at conventions, speaking to business owners, uh, the Broadway Unlocked give-back concert, podcasting. As a matter of fact, since we extend the offer to all of our music guests to be able to display their art, that's what we want to do, uh, we thought it'd be fun to ex extend this offer to her and feature her Take Me to Coffee podcast. So if you hear a voice that sounds better than Minor Drew's and is, uh, is not recognizable of the three of us, uh, that is in fact her podcast. It's the Take Me to Coffee podcast. It's another fun, creative podcast where they bring on even more doers. And it's I think this is a great chance for you to check out if you're interested in fields beyond the music people we bring on. Uh, it's just certainly a place to go. It's also funny, witty. It's kind of what we're hoping our podcast could be like, except with even more coffee. Make sure to go subscribe. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to this one. And of course, trade these five stars for five stars. That's just, it's the only option. Uh, we don't accept any other form of stars. Leave a review, preferably funny. You know the drill. Now sit back and enjoy. Idea generator, creative tour de force, Jessica Ryan. <laughs> totally. And again, I just goof off. Oh, there, so he's just, a doof. Yeah, and again, I like, goof off all the time there. So maybe like the younger students. Well, that's. Do you work with kids? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, just as a guest artist every once in a while. Did, no, like, actually so going often. To, yeah, often. like going to schools and yeah. talking about. And I direct uh, teach kids in the summer. What? Yeah. That'll Can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, about I just that? resigned. I'm actually really sad. <sighs> so it's, it's like this is like the end of a chapter for you. It is. I, yeah, more than more than you can know. It's a okay. real shit show of a situation, oh, but sorry, that's yeah. okay. But uh, but yeah. it's it's like a good door that's closing and. Or, okay. No, I'm happy to share the story, but <laughs> okay. like, please, I don't want to, I don't want to cry. But like, what I love is like how we both are in the arts industry, but like we're kind of on different ends, yeah, and totally. spectrums of it. So totally. I love I, that's why I wanted you here. I wanted to yeah. know about that lifestyle. Of yeah, being a, being a theater, musical theater. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, I so this is just a random like it's like a self-imposed vacation that I made for myself, mm -hmm. which I feel like you guys probably can. Oh, all the time, girl. <sighs> I, I won't ever I do want it. One of those. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and someone called me like a friend of mine called me six years ago and was like, 
what are you doing this summer? We have an opening. We do the like education program at this um, theater up in the Rocky Mountains. Okay. Uh, and no one ever leaves. And we've had, we need a choreographer. I, so I was a dancer first. Wait, did they uh-huh. say no one ever leaves? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To- which I knew Hotel already. California? No, <laughs> just close Honestly, enough. But was- in a cabin on a okay, mountain. Okay, okay. <laughs> For me, that's a red flag. Cause yeah. like as a brother, if people aren't leaving, I'm like, whoa. But you haven't seen Get Out yet. So I haven't just- seen Get well, Out. Well, that's fair, yeah. But, yeah. but let me set the scene for you. Okay, yeah. Here's <laughs> why no one leaves because though it doesn't pay really well, it pays. You get to live in a cabin oh. at 8,500 feet at the entrance of Rocky Mountain National Park. <sighs> so your days up there as the on the teaching staff, which is a way better gig than being on the main stage, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, get up at 6. Well, this is how my day would go. 6.30 a.m., I'm up with the moose in my front yard, <sighs> having a cup of coffee <laughs> on the porch and going through emails. Man. Yeah, <laughs> doing some work. Hanging out. Seriously, a bear. With the moose. <laughs> I have a, there's a Snapchat from, like, Five years ago, I got up at 6.30 a.m. and looked out my window in the cabin. There's just a fucking bear, <laughs> like, right outside my window. Just chilling? Oh, no, going through the trash. Uh, oh. Brown, uh, black bears, mostly black, black bear. bears up there. I hear brown bears are the ones Right, you black wanna... bears are just, but you don't really want to get in a squabble with, with them anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know? don't want to push your luck. Be like, hey, I'm trying to drink this coffee. No, it's no, fun, hey, man. bear. Hey, hey, <laughs> man, get the fuck out of my property. I'm really yeah. tired. <laughs> Like, what'd you say? Exactly. This ain't your lawn. What you, exactly. you see these, these are paws. <laughs> exactly. I have, oh my God, I have so many stories. Anyway, so okay. 6.30 a.m., you're up. I do a little work in the morning. I have a coffee. I look at the bear and the moose. Then I go and like direct and devise a play with high schoolers for six hours. We write an entire musical from scratch in three weeks and perform it which is so fun. Oh, and so it feels more like work, like real actual work yeah. than teaching, to be yeah. honest. And then <laughs> you get done at like 3.30 and then you go all the directors, which by the way, we've had like my friend Ben Gully, who's a famous opera singer, international mm. opera singer was our music director. My friend Luke McGinnis, who's a co-founder of Apartment Sessions came up and did it with me one summer. We've so like, spoken about him on your podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it's, we bring the best it's people fun. up. It's yeah. so much fucking it's a squad. fun. Yeah. It's oh my God, it's a squad. And so then you, you know, you have your meeting and then you're done by four. I get out on a paddle board yeah. on the lake in, at the base of these mountains. <laughs> we drive into the park at 7 p.m. as the sun's going down to watch all the elk and the moose out. Then you come back and you grill meats and you drink beers and then you're in bed by 9.30 and you do it all over again the next day. That's That's a dream. Yeah. It's a dream. Also, you said it was like 8,000? Grant, so Grand Lake, which is the town this is in, is yeah. like at 8.2 or 8.5. And then as soon as you get into the park, you're going up to about 10, 11,000 feet. Wow. For, for our listeners who've never had alcohol at altitude. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. It's going to yeah. save money. This is a yeah. benefit. Yes. You know, for like, sure. You're going to save. <laughs> it's cost benefit, so much. guys. One shot of whiskey, I'm partying all night, baby. See, <laughs> this is the problem, though, with me is I don't get altitude sickness, and I actually don't. Uh, have mm. I don't tend to get drunk faster. It doesn't hit you like that? No, oh, I have man. never drank more whiskey than I have. And I drink a <laughs> decent amount of whiskey, but up on that mountain, you Shout drink out. a lot of whiskey. What's your, what's your go-to? I don't have one. Well, I guess like, t- I like Templeton Rye a lot. Yeah. My very favorite is Whistle Pig, but it's so expensive. So it's yeah. only a treat, you know never what I mean? I've never had Whistle Pig. I'm, I'm starting I like to, I'm starting to yeah? delve into I was always in whiskey land and now I've gone into gin land. I, gin that's land. gin in the summer, whiskey's in the winter. I never had gin up until maybe two years ago. Oh really? Now it's like all I have. It's nice. Cause I always drink yeah. whiskeys and bourbons. 
Yeah. And then I don't know, just something to hit. Well, because you're from the, the you're from the from south. The south, bro. yeah. Like from the south. I was just I was just like hiding them away in the basement. <laughs> he made it himself. And they'd be like, Pro- <laughs> prohibition was done hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Like, no, 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 Newsflash. She's <laughs> like, we must preserve this in cask. It's kind of like it's kind of like growing your own weed. I yeah. Think. It's like risky. Wait, what? Well, if you made your own whiskey, oh, that would be kind of like... Yeah. It's be like very your, personable. Yeah, it's like your own little signature. Yeah. And that's how it starts. And that's how you start your own business. So, like, <laughs> so, that, so guys, if you want to start a business... <laughs> right. The value proposition. <laughs> guys, grow your own drugs. Well, well, if you love something, right? Yeah. And you're not getting that which you need out of that product, you make a solution. That's fair. And that's entrepreneurship. There's just so much good whiskey in the world. That's true. It's like you were saying earlier yeah. with like mentorship That's podcasts. True. Why put my hand into it? It's like I like yeah. all of the whiskey. That's true. It's just like if you want, yeah, if you want to put your energy in there, like go for it. If not, it's okay. Yeah, it's right. It's One okay. thing I've thought about as a uh, as a musician and an artist, yeah, is you know we get hired so much by companies to do ads for them. We we make right. left brain products and services sexy. Yep. That's what the arts do. Mm-hmm. But why don't we do Mail it for chip. ourselves? <laughs> make this oh, sexy. Totally. So that's, this is something that I've been you thinking. You want to send mail in send bulk? It. Ooh, <laughs> just like, Wait, you got a man. Hey, but I, okay. Oh my God, hey, it's so nerdy, on, but I have on. an email program for you. <laughs> oh, I'm so ready. Oh, sad. I got an email program. I got targeted correctly on Instagram by this startup yeah. called Flowdesk. And after I went and researched it, because I was like, why is this amazing? It was, it literally is made for creatives who have never been able to really like harness the potential of mailing marketing because like, no, I love MailChimp. I've been on MailChimp since I'm a beta girl. I'm a beta Uh of every technology product in the entire universe. So I've been using MailChimp since the beginning. If you want any feedback (laughs) before there was even a chimp. Yes, Ryan knows her services. (laughs) If you want, come through, shoot her a DM on on Twitter, sliding them DMs. If you have some questions, she, she. I'm just always looking for the thing that's going to make it easier to make things, to be creative, right? That's all I want. So Flowdesk was made for creatives to use it. And so it is, it is for like the Canva generation. I'm always like, MailChimp, I'm like, why the fuck can't I make my emails look awesome? Like I can make everything else in Canva and Flowdesk does it. Really? Flowdesk does it. And then it helps you set up these automations in a really easy creative. Like my brain's like, yes, I get this. I get this. I just used Canva for the first time. Oh, it's life changer. A couple months ago. I feel, or not even a couple months, just for my job. And I was just like, oh, it's just so easy. Everything I make looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I wish I just known more about it. So it's great you're here. You're just going to teach us what we should do. Oh, yeah. My brain doesn't work that way. I don't like making visual stuff. I just like sounds and talking. But you yeah. make all those videos, or you did. Well, I mean, yeah, I take That's, okay, so let me qualify <laughs> it. I like taking pictures. I like taking um, video. I like telling stories and narratives in, in those media. Yeah. When it comes to making a YouTube banner or Twitter Image banner, creation. Yeah. Image yeah. creation. Or, 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 like, uh, if I want to do a promo uh, for, like, an upcoming show or yeah. something, I just don't even, my brain doesn't easily create attractive looking. Have you tried things. Canva yet? <laughs> I'm not shilling for Canva, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I know. I have used Canva. Uh, Canva. Yeah. Dreams before. made for you or whatever. Yeah. I made an EPK with Canva. So yeah. Yeah. But okay. it, it took so much energy. <gasps> really? So because I just, I'm indecisive. I'm a Libra. Oh. So it's like, do I want purple or do I want orange or do I want 
this that makes sense yeah and so too many parameters too many choices that's why logic freaks me out that's why adobe (laughs) premiere freaks me out logic he didn't mean it yeah he didn't mean it i'm sorry no keep working baby i love you i love you i love you i just uncle donnell i just need you to stay over there i just want to watch you guys talk sexy to logic for the rest of the time But there is so much, at least going back to the whiskey thing that you brought up though, like if you know you really don't like doing something and you've, you've tried it, then you can appreciate other people to create images and do what you like. That's so. true. Flow desk. Flow desk. That's also the best thing so about good. having the podcast is it, having a podcast is you know is you don't have to like write anything down anymore. No. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear this again. Yeah, later. just exactly. Let me yeah. just, let me like, just A thousand times yeah. while you yeah. edit it for five hours. <laughs> oh, she had told me about the software that removed all my ums and likes and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we were on that kick of, on the whiskey topic. And uh-huh. I was talking a little bit about um, how artists, we make left brain products and services sexy. Yeah. And we do it for other people, but... Why don't we create our own products of things that we already love and things that we already consume and take? Mm-hmm. And maybe not be the technician to make that code, yeah. but to take that entrepreneurial spirit and seeing that there's a problem that needs to be solved and to actually apply our creative energy into connecting with other people who do have the know-how to get that going. And then your music and your art and your YouTube and your and whatever it is you do is the sexy rapper to your product. So your product makes you your money. I love but that. your music makes your product sexy. Jay-Z does that. He yeah, has yeah. liquors. Oh, yeah. He has so many different businesses. So he makes an album every once in a while. And the <laughs> album is just to get you to remember why you love Jay-Z. And then you're going to invest in Jay-Z's products. Yeah, but here's... It's, it's marketing Here's on the level. tough thing about that, just to like counterpoint it. Yeah. Because I also think about this often. There's a different business model with Jay-Z because he's got the volume of people paying attention Uh to make whatever he wants to put his energies behind work. Whereas with someone like us, like we have the niche audience and like it's not small, but you still end up really in technology anyway, having to have that like minimum viable product that solves Mm. an actual problem where you can pick up your customers at like your acquisition costs are really low and you can get the beta, the early adopters like me, you know what I mean? And I don't know, like it it feels like that process. I mean, I've got a personally, with Broadway Unlocked, I have a product development database that I couldn't couldn't make all these products in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Because anytime I go work somewhere, I interview people making theater. I'm like, what challenges are you facing? It's exactly, I just want to make all of the technology that can solve problems in the theater and then scale out for other things. But it's a, it feels like it will take me away from my whole entire life once yeah. I really dive into trying well, to make I it. Think that is it. You, that's your service. Yeah. That's 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 like you go and you consult and like, you show people. The idea generator. Yeah. 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 Idea generator. I am definitely an idea generator. Exactly. And I think that's your strength. But that's I want to make that. Te- I want to get that technology made. The hardest yeah. part too is, I mean, like Jay Z is just the sheer cost because. The, the tricky part That's is true. His, the tricky part for most of this is capital. that with any of our yeah, it's like my capital is uh, it's a single digit. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> totally. We're in the single digits of capital. Yeah. The seed the seed funding is seed. <laughs> but um, so one seed. The, the the tricky the tricky part too is that because since it's your idea, like that's 
that's your creation, like someone else, if they come onto that, they need to believe it's their idea too. Oh man. If you're a programmer oh, or a software developer, right. it's going to be tough for them to come on and take on just your pet project. It needs to become their pet project. Otherwise, uh, just go on like LinkedIn and just be like, oh, let me, let me just, let's just hire someone to develop this app. Or it has to have the potential to actually yeah. attract yeah. a real investor, right? Yeah. You can see how it's going to scale and become a hundred times or 10 times or whatever it is. And it's, business. yeah, it's tricky. It's like the amount of, yeah, Jay-Z can just throw money at a business because he knows it's not going to work. Well, like Mark Cuban could, could go into Shark Tank yeah. and he would literally just buy it because he's the billionaire. He could buy out all the, every product, everyone who walks in there. He could reasonably just be like, yeah, I'll just give you whatever you want. Because if one out of every thousand projects he funds clicks, he makes money. Right. That's all he needs is like one of you to do it. So right. he, he, he can take that risk. The hard part is for us to then prove to someone to, since it's hard for us to prove that, hey, this is going to work, you just got to get someone on board. Well, and that's because make it here's what's actually happening under that hood that you just talked about is that Mark Cuban, even though we kind of think he's just got a fuck ton of money and mm -hmm. he can afford to take these risks, what's actually happening is he's got these massive profit and loss statements, right? Projecting where that where it all starts to turn. And so he knows exactly how much loss he mm -hmm. can take to your point, but he also knows exactly how much that one out of a thousand has got, how much potential it has to have for him to hit and counterbalance and in fact exceed, right? His mm -hmm. loss. Mm -hmm. And so it's this insane math. No, it's, and it's this oh, crazy no. fucking math that you then have to, as a person who's creating products, Actually, demonstrate to the investor. Yeah, man. It's crazy. It's so <laughs> this is all complex. And what I just meant was like, <laughs> If you're like a rapper, just like what if, if you're like a rapper yes. and you like love chocolate, yeah. maybe you could just like make a special brand of chocolate and sell it. It's to the shows. it's the all wrapper chocolate where there's actually no chocolate there's or there's no candy. wrapper at all. You you unwrap it and it's more wrappers. You guys, we going. can can I, I can we please talk about chocolate butthole now what? from your last episode. I mean, Oh, I don't remember. Did, what did I say? You chocolate said butthole? like my. We, we, you said oh, chocolate yeah, butthole, and then yeah, you said really stream of consciously talk. This, oh and then God. I was so happy because I feel like I was like, this is this is oh, near and dear to my heart. Something like pooping. Was it a pooping joke? I can't remember. Was I was joke? listening to the audio podcast, and that's one thing I appreciate. Yeah, it's it feels like we're talking to a family member. Because, <laughs> because, because, because I was I was like I'm gonna listen to a couple episodes, and it was it was, it was like going in and talk. Uh, we talk a lot about a lot audio. of bubbles. and I was just like, yeah. I was like, yeah, straight to butt. I was like, oh, and always open up. I was like, straight to butt. We're gonna we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna have. <laughs> oh a good yeah, time. I was like, did we get that on or something? It's like, family yes, let's start it. Sunday morning musing, Sunday morning bluesing with a cup of coffee and a friend. I'm just gonna grab a little more coffee. One second. Wow, that's three cups already. No, it's not gone. Are you just topping up? I, You're just I topping just up. Yeah, I don't like cold coffee. God, you have a severe form of bedhead right now, and I am into I know. it. It looks really good. <laughs> like it's really good. No, don't fuck with it. Don't fuck with it. This is what happened. <laughs> this is what happened. Everything is so busy right now in such an insane fashion to which I have never experienced before. I'm I'm working seven days a week, like 100% working seven days a week. And yesterday I was going to do some work and then go to a housewarming party. But then when I woke up, I realized I was so tired that I couldn't do anything at all. So I actually did nothing yesterday except wash my hair and not dry it. So that's why it looks like this is it air. I mean, it air dried. I didn't like dry it. I'm tired. 
I was actually going to say it kind of looks like that really cool commercial that iPhone has right now. I haven't seen it. Can we put that commercial up? I don't want this to sound terrible. I'm just talking about the type of hair that is being exhibited, and it is. Um, this is going to go fucking terribly wrong for me. Uh, oh, it is no. actually a really beautiful dog <laughs> that is being featured. <laughs> that is being featured in this commercial. I hate it, it's you. like being windblown, and it's just got this beautiful look on its face, and it's kind of luxuriating. And let me just show it to you. Let me just pull it up real quick. I am. I know. I know. You should, I know. I'm not meaning to offend you. I'm not meaning half to offend laughing, you. half crying, actual tears right now because you just. <laughs> oh God damn it! I didn't mean. But again, let me just say that I didn't mean it in a uh, in a derogatory way. I'm not so Andrew just to. keeps digging himself in and is like, no, no, I watch do, this dog you know with its I'm hair blowing. I'm going to be so upset. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) It's not wrong. It's not wrong. I'm going to do Andrew. Welcome to Take Me to Coffee. This is a mentorship podcast it's, for the is digital this, is this way age. For you guys, probably for not. Doers, I don't know, but for the me, builders, and the people. One of the reasons I like really fucking triple down on talking like that is because girls aren't supposed to talk like that. It's very genuine. And it for me, it is almost like a form of resistance. I don't know. Like, do I really like? Am I that interested in buttholes? I don't know. I'll no, give it a 50, 60 percent. Always funny, but like everyone, almost everyone's got one. Yes, yeah. like, almost sure. everyone. Yeah, I'm sure, there's some without buttholes. I once, um, not once. It was not that long ago. I was directing a show a couple summers ago. Um, nice yeah. work if you can get it, directing and choreographing it. Mm-hmm. And I, at the opening meeting, um, it was at a college. So there's a Title IX, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, policy. <laughs> and I had been warned, like, you just be careful. Obviously, this is a big deal in universities. And I'm an advocate for, you know, survivors of violence. So I, I take this really seriously. Yeah. Uh, but in my typical, I can't stop my mouth once it starts running. <laughs> I got, I did like my inspirational director speech in front of everyone. And I was like, and, and guys, here's the deal. I am going to crack some disgusting jokes during rehearsal. But don't uh-huh. worry, your butthole's safe. Uh, <laughs> That's I what I said. Laugh, but then and I then they, email blast. Silence, just oh, fucking silence. Oh, and then like a nervous man. giggle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this is something that, that Joe Rogan's been talking with a lot of his guests. It's like uh, this idea of where when you do comedy mm-hmm. and when you say things that are taboo, it upsets a lot of people totally. that are very, they're on like this woke, very like super left um, perspective. Oh, and sure. I wonder, I wonder <clears throat> if that's healthy. I wonder yeah. if we maybe need to also recognize that sometimes, and a lot of people just love to talk shit. And that's, that's all it is. It's not yeah. because growing up, at least in like, the classical music sphere, I've had to always be careful of it's what very I have to say. So, yeah, yeah. And I love to make funny, weird, gross jokes sometimes yeah. because you're not supposed to say it. Absolutely. Quote, unquote. Yes. Um, I don't know. And it's it's gotten better as I've gotten yeah. older. But I well, there's just somewhere that. in there. It's some, you know, it's on the, the spectrum because before you, you, you could just get away with anything and then like now there's a natural reaction to it and then it's gonna it'll probably all even out at, to some degree always yeah, it always will push and, and like, pull it's yeah some push and pull so I'm like not super concerned but it is true like you go up there and like crack that joke and like it's not that no one thinks it's funny is they're all afraid 
to be seen thinking it's funny. Right. Mm, is that it? I also, I like the gray of it too. I like, I think we should always have, I think it's not going to solve itself, the mm-hmm. comedy thing in particular. Yeah. And it's a great conversation we should always be having. We just had, a, I was funny. watching Mr. Show. I was rewatching Mr. Show the other night with my mm-hmm. friend Tyler. And we mm-hmm. were ha- I, talking, we were watching it and we were like, huh, this is like that line. It's from the 90s, right? The late 90s, the original Mr. Show, which was like one of my favorites. But rewatching it, you're like, oh, it's a couple of white guys and all the jokes are marginalized people. They oh. play gay people. They play yeah. Middle Eastern people. They play blah, blah, blah. And so we got to talking like, cause a lot of it is really fucking funny, mm-hmm. but also that's not, that doesn't fly anymore for good reason. And I don't know. I like the discomfort and the tension in that conversation. I like that it makes you, th- one of the things we always like, like about like comedy or whatever is that it just, it makes you think. And for me, it's like a great gateway to more difficult, like conscious, like, why is that funny? Mm, yeah. Like look at, every, right. look at every movie from the eighties and nineties. Like the, the whole premise of the script, it's like they obviously didn't think much. They like probably walked in there like, okay, so normal story, but what if the lead is black? And like that's the premise <laughs> of the joke. Like, the, yeah. like, and then 90 minutes yeah. of like, Queen Latifah has a lot of money she saved up. And like, you're sitting there, I'm like, wait. Really? Like, if you think about the story, like, that's really, that's the joke. But, um. Doesn't the premise of the joke really matter too? Because it, I wonder because I do love free speech and I do want to be able to watch a show with a couple of white dudes making a making fun of minorities. And if the lesson behind it is to highlight the struggles that minorities really have yeah. to go through and to really tell their story in the in the most honest way possible, I would I would totally be on board with that. Like I don't have a problem with that. That's the weird thing about the Mr. Show example in particular. There's a couple of weird things. One, they're never making fun of the people that they're and playing. I think that's huge. But they're yeah. always playing people of that's it ends up they being the joke. Just very rarely. They do. They do like there's a really wa- famous corporate executive sketch that's great. But then there's like then they did they do do a couple of sketches, well, in the like batch of ones that we episodes that we watched the other day where they're women and they are absolutely yeah. well aware in that sketch, right? Yeah. Of the mm-hmm. position women are put in in comedy a lot. So yeah. I don't know. It's just complicated. I don't think it's bad or good, but it's a it's a complicated conversation. And I, I the last time I went to the comedy store, yeah, just for I like love the me too. And I ended up like in the belly room or something. So it's like in the yeah. smaller room. And oh, it was such a wretched evening. How so? Because it was just the line after line of guys, like uh, just where women were just the butt of every fucking joke. Yeah. Just uh-huh. everything was derogatory to women. To women, and we went because the last person to go was Neil Brennan, who I'm oh. in love with. Well, he's like. And he comes out and he's like on the political comedy and Muslim, like American relations. And I was like, it felt like, oh, thank God. God. (laughs) It's also something about like, yeah, like making the joke the joke. And I think that's like why you get away. But it just seems like if you can make it good and part of what makes it good is that living in the gray zone, but like Neil Brennan or his colleague, Dave Chappelle, yeah. like, where they, they get up to that line and they will talk about the uncomfortable thing, yeah. but it's not trying to be derogatory and targeted. It's, right. it's trying to highlight aspects of that dig into stereotypes or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like they, there's a way they handle out. it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not trying to swing down. It's trying to use comedy as like the poking the hole and provide and, access yeah. to talk about. Revealing greater truths. Yeah, it's just like, hey, like this is like we... We need to talk about this. It's it's well. I want to say easier, but one way to do it is comedy. And think of like 
uh, your John Stewart's and all these late night things. Yeah. But I can't remember his name, but the kind of the John Stewart in Egypt back then, mm-hmm. back when John Stewart was on, and he'd interact with this person in a similar premise. And he's, you know, talking about a dictator. Yeah. And but yeah. he's doing it through comedy. Everyone loves the show. He gets arrested. He gets yeah, pulled yeah. in. And you know, with the bag over the head in Egypt. And he's just cracking lighthearted jokes, but it's about something serious. And like you you can you can start to be able to tackle these uncomfortable truths through something entertaining like comedy. I have a question for you guys, actually, on that note. Okay, so like comedy does it in that way. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking about theater, and that's of course like such an amazing part of theater mm-hmm. that we can kind of dig into those crazy yeah. things he can lick through <laughs> through <laughs> entertainment. How do you guys, where does that sit with like classical music? Like, <laughs> <laughs> is there any way that you are able to, or you find that you are able to tackle that stuff? We're trying, the hard part for classical music is it seems like it's one of the stodgiest of the art forms because it's so weighted down by its history. And so I've always uh. been around the theater space and like, of course, there are a lot of difficulties and a lot of like backward things going on there. But yeah. at least all yeah. these shows, almost always now, there's some, there's something to talk about. It's personal. There's stories. There's words. There's people. You're all close. You're going through a bonding experience. Yeah. Uh, you. It's hard to go through a show and not walk out with the family on the other end. Yeah. And classical music, it's like, it's like not like that. Like you're you're not because you, you, when you're there you're not really talking you're playing mm-hmm. you're and mm-hmm. by playing that symphony you're not discovering a greater truth or like discussing like right you know let's let's like break down like how do we present sexual assault like no that doesn't happen you're, you're right. presenting mm-hmm. Beethoven you're presenting yeah. a, you're presenting a <laughs> piece a that was that was written for talk. Napoleon yeah and then and it's also got this weird it's got a lot of problems with the elevating the genius elevating the virtuoso uh, and then that leads to abuse so it's the the trickiest part of classical music that i've seen that i don't see as much in some of the other fields they they everyone every field has no problem between theater dancing yeah. film it's just classical music is just completely burdened by its past which is so with tough because no, like no i I it's like a habit from my growing up with my family. Sunday mornings, I get up and make my coffee and I put on classical vinyl while I'm like reading mm. the news and just sort of like not doing much. And it's so beautiful. You know what I mean? Like that experience of like sitting in your apartment and listening to classical music fill up the apartment is such a beautiful experience. And and particularly now, like I find myself yeah. very grateful for any beauty <laughs> that I can sort of absorb at any given time. And it's just so frustrating. I, I can't imagine for me to even hear you say that, right? So I can't imagine what it's like being inside it. It's just, it's, it's kind of like just a weird beast. I mean, like if you think about it with both dance and theater, like there's, they're each dealing with different types of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so in theater, even in theater and probably dance, like even from like the warm-up stage, like let's stand in a circle and laugh or like mm-hmm. let's hug, let's do this physical movement. Like mm-hmm. let's, in, in classical music, at the professional level, you're not sitting there warming up together on stage. No, right. You're walking out <clears throat> and you're going to rehearse and mm-hmm. perform. And it's a very, feels like a unionized thing. We're going to come in here. This person has this role, this role. And that role was designed a hundred years ago. You walk out here and you do this. And like, while there's a lot of camaraderie and bonding and chamber music, like mm-hmm. at the top tier, the the NFLs of yeah. music, yeah. like the less personal it gets. 
which in theater, even on Broadway, I'll talk to people on Broadway. Oh, you still feel like still, they, I see videos every day in the dressing room yep. on Phantom of the Opera. They're all sitting there. They're like, okay, it's, you know, Funky Friday. And yeah. then they play music and they dance and yeah. sing. And they're going to go out and do that show eight days a week. We like all go hang out. At, like you hang out in the dressing rooms after the show on Broadway. You they're know? hanging out. and But even at the outset, the beginning, because classical music are hanging out. There's a lot of young people into it. Yeah. But the when you're in the process of the art form, it's... I don't know. I think just the tricky part is it's it's just very backward looking. Uh, for instance, a new musical comes out, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It, it's like when it gets hype, everyone <clears throat> wants to go see the new musical. They still respect the old ones. It's mm-hmm. kind of like perfect in that they like the classics, but if you bring in something new, it's good. And some <laughs> of those are questioning big topics mm-hmm. and they still sell out billions of dollars. Uh, classical music, something new comes out, it's, it's allocated to a small portion of the thing. Mm. It's underfunded. Uh, it's not hyped up, if, particularly if it's questionable. It's, we, we're, stuck, we're stuck dealing with our history. And that causes, that causes problems. I wonder, your question was to the point of like the comedy in it, in classical music, or like... Oh, just how we were talking about, like, how art tackles the gray or tough areas or uncomfortable areas. And so it's so clear to me how it happens in comedy and theater. And I was curious about that. I mean, it it used to, and it does in some ways, especially in the newer composers. Friend of mine, um, Jesse Montgomery, shout out, incredible African-American female composer. Uh, She did a piece um, for the, do you remember back in... 2014, 2015, that area when Eric Garner was killed yeah, yeah. and Philando Castile. And so there's this uh, group in New York called The Dream Unfinished, and they're an, they're an orchestra, an advocate orchestra. Advocate orchestra? Yeah. yeah. So it's a bunch of freelancers mm-hmm. in New York who get together and perform like uh, symphonic works by composers who are living. Uh, they recently had a concert uh, for women. I couldn't be there because I was on the boat. But I previously performed uh, one summer, especially that summer when a lot of African-American people were being killed by police brutality. Um, we performed, and Jesse actually wrote a really powerful piece depicting, you know, how, you know, we're not really finished with slavery. Uh, <laughs> really no, isn't even necessary in that, it's, it's kind that of sentence. Like, <laughs> It's kind of like if you made a wonderful pizza pie like we're going to eat, but the wheat that you used to make the dough was rotten. So you have a pizza, but it's it's a fundamentally flawed pizza. Yes. It could look pretty, yeah. but down to its core, it still has a lot of issues that need to be. So that's what the piece was about. Yeah. You know, that's what it was about, kind of giving that message. And it was powerful. And that happens on a small scale. Yeah. By and large, when you're talking about symphonies, you have, from my perspective as, as a 28-year-old man who has been out of school for about four years now, uh, I've taken my first professional audition, and I've seen some of my friends win these auditions. When you go and look at these orchestras, they're people in their 50s, 60s, yep. 70s, <clears throat> mid-40s at the youngest, and you're a 24 six-year-old kid getting a job around just these people. They don't go out and party. It's tough to get into that community. 
those communities are very tightly knit. And when you're the new kid, imagine being the new kid in school, but everybody's been in the same school for 30, 40 years totally. together. And the hard you part know? is like, there's tons of other different types of music, tons mm-hmm. of different other types of ad- avenues, but the ones that have the most money are those right. institutions. Exactly. That, that, those are the best right. paying jobs. Yeah. Uh, like we have lots of these other smaller groups uh, and even pieces. Like, so my most successful piece from like a achievement perspective is is about gun violence. It came out 2014, that year when it was in the, the ethos. And even beyond like its recognition, it was played once. Whoa. Once. Like even like the recording is fine. I haven't like gone around like pushing for it, but like it just doesn't, it's just not supported. I'm switching yeah. our questions around now from our, like, what's going on today because I have a really good one to follow this up. Okay. Um, so I had my friend specifically ask my friend Ben Gully to ask a uh-huh. question because uh-huh. he is a international opera star. Oh, He's wow. amazing, tenor, but he is a signed label artist in R&B. I and love he's it. insane. I and love he it. has always, same as you, right? Like fought, like no one understands. They told him he couldn't do it. And I was like, yeah. Ben, you got to ask Drew a question. I so. want to beat him. <laughs> That's new. I love that. TVK, this is Ben Gully, operatic tenor. Uh, also a shout out from John Brancy. Uh, but my question for you today for the podcast is what markets or genres do you see embracing the modification and modernization of classical instruments, such as electronic violas or hybrid instruments, with the ability for a much wider aural palette? Do you see the classical forms embracing this? Or do you think we have to kind of make our own markets? Is uh, what, what are you finding or what do you foresee will be the next space for the new sounds? And are you playing with any new sounds currently? Wow, that's an incredible Two really great questions question. in there, yeah. Yeah. So for the first one, I think what's really interesting, it's, an, it's one of the most interesting times in string playing that, that I can remember. Because of the internet, you have a lot of people who aren't classically trained, but they're playing violin. They're playing mm-hmm. classical instruments. And what I mean by classically trained is like they may not have gone and gotten their masters specifically and only in classical performance. That's what I mean mm-hmm. by that. I'm qualifying it. Just mm-hmm. because you play a classical instrument and you didn't go to Juilliard or conservatory doesn't mean you're not classically trained. Okay. I'm talking about people who try to get degrees and take on the debt. <laughs> yeah. with the intent of getting into an orchestra and then saying, oh, wait, this is dumb. Fuck it. Let me do something else. <laughs> so It works for some people. So what there. I see, it works for some people. What I really am so excited to see is there are so many players that are burgeoning in hip-hop violin. There's my mm. boy Dodge Jordan UK on Instagram out in um, – out in, out in London, playing hip-hop violin. He's got one of the most sweet, sultry sounds ever. Uh, we got Grandmaster Vic, who's a violinist out here in L.A. I just, every time he plays, oh my goodness, he's a hip-hop, R&B violinist. Phenomenal. There's my boy, uh, Lee England Jr., who does very much the same thing. We've got Azima Ramsey. I've actually done a couple covers. <laughs> From like, oh, that's and, funny. And to go back, going back to you know, caveman times, people who built communities were those who smiled more and laughed more. What? Because those who did that, when you're laughing and you're doing all of that, um, 
you're opening yourself up in a lot in terms of your body language. Yeah. Um, you're showing people that you're non-threatening. And honestly, like if you go on Twitter, you kind of can imagine what it was like to be a caveman yeah. by how angry <laughs> everybody gets. It's, it's a great simulation. So true. It's, a great, it, it's this tribalism. Well, there's also something like I can't remember who, but he was talking about like biologically. If you think about it, like if if like a guy's like not funny. You have like no chance you of can't, like you don't fuck. You're not yeah, like no, like that's it. Like that's what he's saying. It's just like if a guy uh, is not that's funny, so funny. If a guy it's doesn't true. have some sense of humor, they will not procreate the species. Their yeah. their line is over. Yeah, you suck, bro. Because like, <laughs> who wants to be around someone who's not funny? Oh, like, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> How boring. Yeah, like yeah, like but it's it's kind of the best of all worlds. You get to like talk, you can you can use it to talk about different difficult things to comfort people. Um, it also it's just a great useful tool. It shows an understanding. And you, you get it. There, there is empathy. And I, mm-hmm. you, you see that with, I can't remember, I was watching some interview or something recently and I was talking, uh, it was, I'm sure it's another podcast. That's what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was a podcast <laughs> interviewing two comedians and they were, they were just talking about having worked in show business and they're like, yeah, we talked to all these like producers or whatever and like, it was just so hard to talk to them and like, they'd talk to the comedian, the person that was going to be going up, your Neil Brennan's, and they'd be like, that's the smartest person in the room. And he's up there making poop jokes or whatever. And like, that's, and like, look at a, look at a Colbert. Like, look yeah. at, look at some of those late night jokes that are up there, like goofing off. But, but, if, but you know, just even lightly paying attention, you're like, wait a minute. Really smart. These oh, people yeah. Are smart. Like, Colbert's up there just like quoting word for word, Lord of the Rings, just like entire quotes. Oh my of, God. Like, poetry. That- I'm like, what? When he did that speech about his wife and the Iliad, I think, or the Odyssey. And I was like, oh my God. It's like, he comes up there and he's going to make a fart joke. And yet I don't have anything memorized. Yeah. Well, this is sort of what's at the base. I wish I knew more about it so I could talk more eloquently on it. And I don't, but this is a basis of like clowning, clowning, which is like the original art form of comedy and theater. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Clowns are, when you learn clowning, the little bit that I know, and I'm sure I'm going to fuck this up if anybody's listening that's like knows clowning, but (laughs) like it is, its basis is just huge amounts of intelligence and sadness and like all of this crazy shit you don't. Uh, usually associate with well, that, comedy. That would be really helpful, though, if you're a comic to, like, sell a personality, sell maybe an accent, mm-hmm. or maybe even sell a point of view when you're trying to act angry. If you can clown an angry person mm-hmm. and then you put witty dialogue under mm-hmm. it, like, actually coming from your mouth, but your features really embody that emotion, mm-hmm. it makes the comedy more impactful mm-hmm. because you're. it's like you're, instead of you're eating a Pop-Tart, Tart, you're eating like a cheesecake. Like this, <laughs> cheesecake yes. flavored pop tart. You're actually eating a cheesecake. Oh my god! Cheesecake pop tart. So Write this down. Good, exactly. Like, Not a cheesecake flavored yeah. pop tart. No, che- <laughs> oh, but a pop tart flavored cheesecake. That's oh, it. We got it. If you say pop fart one more time, pop, pop farts. farts. But um, <laughs> that's what, oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. So in your experience, yeah. When did you have you always been? funny or interested in comedy is it something that came on later have you like worked on it yeah oh my gosh I it wasn't uh it wasn't a deliberate decision like I think I probably always had sort of my lens is 
comedy, comedic, mm-hmm. I guess. But I distinctly remember in high school when yeah. I started realizing I was funny. Uh-huh. And so, and I was practicing being what, funny. What did that look, what did it that look looked like? like me being a fucking dick. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> sarcasm is the oh, easiest yeah. brand of funny, right? Yeah. That's and so, my family's form. Yeah. And now look, a good, finely honed sarcasm is hilarious. But all I was you know, 16 or 17. And I just, I, when I look back, I'm like, man, I was mean. I was so, <laughs> but I thought it was funny. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody else kind of did too, yeah. but it's elevated. It was probably more like, hopefully. was it like funnier to you? Is that like in, in well, the Well, I just knew I could, I could get zingers out fast. I like discovered that I was quick on my feet mm-hmm. and that I could zing. Mm-hmm. And, but that often ended up being a put down to someone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. was that kind of comedy. And it was just, you just roasted just, people. It's the way I started Man, to learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except it had that like teenage angst behind it. So yeah. as opposed to the roast where you're just like trying to get the best like fucking insult <laughs> so in, went, I was oh. mad. And you like understood went what- Went straight for the heart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You totally. understood what they were insecure about. Yeah, 100%. And you know as a teacher- I'm going to hit that button. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And now you know as like a teacher, like, man, the shit kids, kids say to you, they could, yeah. like middle schoolers, they could oh, like- I, They're brilliant. Those kids I can know. ruin your life, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's just you. so true. It didn't, but it didn't stay in that phase for very uh-huh. long. Yeah, uh-huh. like I remember it like a couple of years in high school, and then I was on. Once I really started doing theater uh-huh. and got a package right to put my comedy into, it was it improved. <laughs> what What are some ways that you at least because I'm brand new, yeah, um, to the whole comedy idea? I've loved YouTube. YouTube made me love comedy. Yeah, really. yeah. In terms of just the funniest video, I gotta send you this dog of wisdom video. <laughs> I'm ready for it's, it. It's oh my god! I'll have to share so it to you while we're, we're yeah. eating or yeah. whatever. But uh, I'm dying. I just love this idea of having an idea and bringing it to a table and people just seeing what you see. Yeah. So for you, was is there like a like one of those? Do you have a memory of like the one of the first times that happened that like told you like, oh, I really, this is the way I want to communicate in like uh, a comedic sense. Was there a- Weirdly enough, I think it was really, I did, for, do you guys have forensics when you, did you have forensics in high school? No. NFL, no. National Forensics no. League. So it's a- NFL? The, yeah, the NFL, <laughs> National Forensics <laughs> the, League. They they need to do The NFL forensics. for nerds. Uh, uh, it's, I was like, oh, you used to hit people? <laughs> no, no, not me. Uh-uh. <laughs> Uh, it's like half debate and half uh, competitive acting, basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing. It, it's there's nothing in professional form like NFL to the forensics, the acting part of it. There's no nothing you do after it that is competitive, comparative, unless you coach it, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because it's like this weird format where you like take plays, and so HI was one of the um, categories, which is what I competed in, which was humorous interpretation. Really? Yeah. So you do real mind. plays, like I did Neil Simon stuff or like Jules Pfeiffer stuff, uh, a lot of David Ives, but you play all the characters. So you sort of like take a stance in the room and you put your head down, you know, like you do. And then you look up and then you start playing all the characters. And so like, (laughs) I got really well known for doing Trotsky and Exile, which is a David Ives play in which I played Trotsky and his wife. What? Yeah. Which was another one that women never did. Actually men always did it, but I, but that's when I started winning and Uh I was like, Oh, I'm like, I can, I can, command an entire room, make them nearly pee their pants, right? Because I'm a clown. I'll do anything. Like, I just don't have any, 
interesting. boundaries. No, but you you're know? a storyteller. But I am a storyteller. Yeah, and so totally. yeah, part of that, and I think about this too. So part of that, like external um, influence, like the award or recognition from it, yeah. is what drove it. And, instead, of originally, that was the same with like compos- composition because I, mm. I, I just, I was a performer playing, and then I wrote on the side to just be able to connect with my other instruments, but mm-hmm. I just found more success in that, like it's more instantly. Yeah. And I think that's what drove me to it. It wasn't like a bug for it. It's like, oh, like I won something. Okay. Well now here's the yeah. other, the flip side of that coin, I think, I don't know if it's true, was true for you in composing, but like when there are less obstacles, right. To do the things that you want to do, mm-hmm. you follow the path of least resistance. Yeah, it's very rewarding, you know, yeah. and you can get more done mm-hmm. and then you can swing back to the other stuff if you ever want to, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Always. With your, so you had mentioned you, you're, were you chore- choreographer or dancer first? Were you always, did you always have the dual like triple th- theater in mind or like how, how has it changed your path of change over the past couple of years? <laughs> we oh do God. have a time limit. The, oh the days my will God. End. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure everyone's like this. I just feel like I've lived 60 bazillion lives. Here's like the, like the, her whole life. I started dance when I was three yeah. and I learned very, before uh, both of my parents have passed away. They passed away by the mm. time I was 32. And right before my dad passed away, I learned, he just happened to tell me I was really fucking terrible at dance when I was three. And they thought for sure oh. I was going to quit. And I just wouldn't quit, which is. Wow. Very indicative of me as a person. Tenacity. Yeah. Great. Oh, insane yeah. tenacity. Like yeah. almost insane tenacity. Uh-huh. Wow. So you I stuck with it. it. Yeah. To be podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking for like, sure. Oh, the hardest, right. Jesus the Christ. The hardest thing you could oh ever do. God. But Jesus. maybe. <laughs> so much podcasts. work and like right to stand podcasts. out. Oh my God. I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good point. So anyway, I stuck with it and I was dancing. By the time I was in, I quit like studio dance, competitive dance and uh, going into high school. And at that time I was dancing six nights a week, five hours a night. Yeah, like crazy, right? And so, but then I wanted to do theater when I was going to college or to high school. Sorry, my grandma, my grandparents did theater. Mm-hmm. So I used to spend the summers oh, going to their rehearsals and stuff. Shit. And I was like, I want to do wow, theater. Did, like when they were when older. They were older yes, they still absolutely. Did yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Wow. That's one great cool. thing. It's like when you're older, it's a great, most of the people in like my local community theaters were much older. Yeah. Yeah, they could. And, and you get fun. all those things you were talking about yeah. earlier, that community and like you make a thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So my parents were like, you can't do both. You just can't do both. We can't do both because I don't even want to know how much my money, you. how oh, money my God. parents spent on dance. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just don't. I'm so glad I'll never know. And uh, <laughs> so I did started doing theater in high school. But then, of course, like I was playing like Tess and Crazy for You, the dancer roles. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I was like. Really like, the only person, the dancer who could do but it. who could act, like always the leads, because yeah. I was naturally good at acting and pretty mm-hmm. good at singing. It was, it's like the less of the three of them, I had to work harder at singing, but I was fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It was good. Yeah. And so then I went to college and got a BFA in musical theater and went straight to New York and started, you know, I was like most promising freshman. Like yeah. you, I knew I was going <laughs> to succeed and I went to New York. And you I, and the other 10,000 most promising, <laughs> promising freshmen at all the universities. It's so true. Uh, and I booked the national tour of Greece and I said no, which should have told me something about the person I was going to turn out to be. <laughs> Why did you say no? Because uh, it was non-union and I knew I didn't want, I just didn't, that wasn't the life it I wanted. Been. And I, so I- The suitcase. I would have rather done something else. You know My what I mean? My cousin did- like the National Tour, Hairspray. Yeah. Uh, as, oh, what's the lead? Uh, 
Tracy. 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 Yeah, and like out of my deck. Exhausted. Yeah. Exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah. And it's okay. Years of suitcase. Look, yeah. that's okay, but touring non-union one means you're not making very much money. Means you're out of the city, so you can't be going in yeah, for other work. stuff, working yeah. towards your union card. Mm-hmm. And third, for me, I was 23 years old and I was cast as the principal in Greece, mm-hmm. which is not useful on my resume because I was 20 years too young for it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Union card. Yeah. What? Uh, so when you do theater or, you know, it's SAG, SAG and equity, yeah. actors' well, equity. I don't know. We have unions. Yeah, we do too. <laughs> yeah. But Your we, union is better pay. than ours. <laughs> we just, we just pay it. No, no, they have to have like credits. Yeah. We can just do Yeah, totally. Yeah, we just say, here's money. And they're like, welcome to the union. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, God. They're just like, you so got 3,000 bucks. Oh, Jesus Christ. So what, no. What's the process? So equity is hard to get into. A lot of our listeners are like string players and musicians. Yeah, totally about this so please uh, enlighten us equity i will say i'm gonna walk back my comments oh equity has lots of room to grow as a union there's a lot of opportunity but it does a lot of amazing things because in theater we don't get fucking paid um so equity with equity you have to get emc weeks which is equity membership candidacy program weeks so you have to have so many they just changed the rules and i'm i've had my union card forever so i can't remember exactly what it is but you have to get so many you either have to get it by having so many weeks of emc work at theaters who offer emc points um or you can get it the way i did which Mm -hmm. is after i turned down the national tour of greece I actually randomly, I got an agent and I got cast in Goodspeed Musicals, which is a really famous theater, their production of Mac and Mabel, and the way their equity mm. contract is set up at Goodspeed and a lot of similar theaters, which are Lort theaters, that's the contract. Um, they can have, they have so many equity contracts, mostly equity contracts for the show, but then they can hire two non-union folks to do the show, which saves them just a shit ton yeah, of money. Yeah, a lot of money. Uh, actually, I think maybe three. I don't know. Whatever it is. And if you get hired at a Lort Theater with this agreement, when you're non-union, the last two weeks you go equity. You get your card. Um, oh. It's kind of like being sponsored by oh, the it's, theater. It's, it's like Just, being knighted. It's totally yeah, like being knighted. Like Welcome. So like I got paid, oh, you know, shit. $260 a week for... It was, I don't even know, it was like a 12-week run for God. 10 weeks. And then the last two, I got my equity card and got paid like the right amount. Than all the That's yeah. nothing. That's no money. Yeah. No, no but money. it's so, now, so here's the thing is that like this story actually is the impetus for why I live my life the way I do right now. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it's pretty interesting. So I booked this job because I there was an agency from uh, L.A. that was going by coastal yeah. And so I happened to go to their open call, which mm-hmm. is, never happens in New York for this agency. So they're from yeah. L.A. Yeah. The director for Mac and Mabel was from L.A. And so they had a relationship. That's nice. how I got in the room. And I was the only non-union person that got cast in a lead in that oh. musical. So I was a lead role. And I was also the yeah. understudy for Donna McKechnie, who was the original Cassie in A Chorus Line. Whoa. So she's incredibly yes. famous. And I was her understudy, which was fucking nuts. What did you learn a lot under her? Oh my god, you! I shared a dress. Oh my god, I shared a dressing room for like. Yeah. Like, oh, it was amazing. You wear their clothes. I was twenty four years old. No, no, they. Had, I wore oh, my own clothes. They had to costume me separately. What, what is what is that relationship like? This is super different. I'm oh, interested great. to learn about yeah, yeah. this. Like, so we're we're. Did she? Did you guys like? We do not have understudies. No. There's no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. They're like, get the fuck out the chair, bro. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> 
We got someone younger and better than you. Yeah. Yeah. No, theater, understudying theater is crazy. I haven't really done it other than this because I didn't want to be an understudy and I was really good at it. I was like, oh, I'm going to be an understudy for the rest of my life. Um, So I don't know that this is always true, but like what in my experience there, what happens is just very weird tension because you're essentially like, I'm a 24-year-old coming up behind mm-hmm. Donna McKechnie, who is moving into her 60s, right? And is there's always this, am I going to go out of fashion or fad or whatever? Yeah. So there was sort of like, we just didn't talk about it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I had to, this is true. You learn in the show in the back of the room, like during rehearsal. You just have to do it on your own, which... No one told me. I remember going to the dance captain because it's my first professional show. I'd gone from college to good speed to a show that was supposed to go on mm. and move into Broadway. You know what I mean? And I was like, hey, what am I supposed to do for an understudy? And Tim, the dance captain, was like, just go in the back of the room, learn all the stuff. When you have questions, come to me for the dances, learn the songs, blah, blah, blah. And no one checks up on you on that shit. You just do it yourself. So I learned the whole show because I'm like a nice student and I was like, I'm just going to learn the whole show. But I had no expectation I'd ever have to use it. And once you're open, you start having understudy rehearsals where you actually do get in the room with all the other understudies and the stage manager and you get the proper blocking and stuff. Was that before they started, not mandating, but making it a thing where you'd have to rotate people in? Is that how it is in Broadway now? Like where? No. There's because it seems like there's some like certain nights like it's like some depends of these, on the some star the, and depends yeah. on if it's a kid. Some of them set up, yeah, it, yeah, it like or if it's a really on, hard show. Even on the bigger ones, they'll like every few weeks, like as a requirement, they will plug in. There's always some yeah. shifting. Not around. always for every show, but for some shows. Okay, yeah, I didn't but know this that is regional theater, so it's like totally different. They couldn't afford to do that. <sighs> so on this show, Donna McKechnie lost her voice like right at the beginning of the show. And I had to go on with no rehearsal. I had never had a rehearsal. Oh, that's terrifying. And they didn't know me. And I was a kid. So everybody's like, "Uh, Jess, you're due. They called me the night before in the housing. I was like, cool, cool. Oh my God. Stayed up all night, all morning, just making sure I knew it. But like, I wanted to make sure I knew it. And then I, as a 24-year-old non-equity kid, had to walk into this put-in rehearsal at 1 p.m. before our show that evening with this fucking cast them now. They're all Broadway vets. You know what I mean? And I was like, holy shit. For Donna McKechnie. Like, Mm -hmm. you cannot fill her shoes. She is amazing. And so- How was their energy towards you? Good. Everybody was really juiced juiced up. You know what I mean? Because everyone was nervous. Because it could bring the whole fucking show tumbling down. Or what if I didn't know my lines? And I have to carry a book. Did they trust you? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was really great. And so I ended up on for like, Two weeks. That's dope. Um, yeah, and I got reviewed because it was during the two Always weeks the when <laughs> everyone was up from New York. Like That's my great. friend Michael Casera, my now friend Michael Casera, who's a casting director, apparent, like he told me recently, he saw me on for her. And I was like, what the That's fuck? Hilarious. That's crazy. Um, but what happened just around back to your original question of like the career tra- trajectory yes, out of this story yes, yes. is that during the process of doing the show, I like always, made friends with the tech staff. I really liked the company manager and the stage manager and Mm -hmm. the line producer. And so I would hang out with them a lot. And the company manager came to me and she was like, look, I just need you to know that your agent is a dick. And he almost lost you this job. And I was like, what, what? Yeah. And she was like, he didn't think you should do, and he had said this to me too. He tried to get me to not take the job because it was only 260 a a week or a month, a week. Yeah. And agents in theater don't get paid if it's that little. 
it's not required. I forget what the threshold is, but whatever. Uh, so, so he had no benefit. And he was from LA, so he didn't understand you get your equity card at good speed and yeah. doors open. You know what so I mean? He no, the value. no, no, no. There's no, no value in it for him, and no. there's very little for you. So he was like, this is a shit deal. It, financially, but right. a huge yeah. amount for me, yeah. actually. Yeah. No, yeah. not at all. And not even wow. that. Like, that's still not, it's, it's not quite looking out for your interests. Not at all. And that was what her yeah. point was because yeah. I had already told him, no, I'm taking this job. And then apparently he dicked around oh. with good speed. And so she had told me this, and my contract was about up. I was at the end of my year. And so I asked, I was staying in the house with all the other leads who had been around. They were vets, like I said. And I was like, do you think, because your agents were all up while I was on, like if I make some phone calls, if I don't re-sign with my agent, you think your agents will take meetings with me? And they are like, "Uh, yes, definitely, no problem. So I didn't re-sign with my agent. I was like, I'm too young to be represented by someone like that. Do you know what I mean? You on the come up. Too young, I know. But you know what happened? What? They took the calls. No one gave me a meeting, and I've never had an agent since. Uh, but and that's better than not. No, it was great. And it's what? Better than not have an agent. No, it like then have someone like that. I well, pr- I couldn't yeah. deal with it. And what yeah. happened in? I think that was the moment where I assessed how theater works, the theater business, and yeah. thought, you know, I think I can do this better for myself because what happened right afterwards is that without with the agent, I walked into that audition. Nailed it. Worked really mm-hmm. hard, like you guys always talk about, right? Worked really hard for that audition. Nailed it. Nailed two callbacks. Had a blast. Was talking with the whole creative team and joking around and all that stuff and booked it. But then as soon as I didn't have an agent, I was trying to go to these. We have EPAs, which are the required auditions for equity that are open to any equity member. And like, I never, never, I don't even remember the next thing I booked, to be honest. And there was this- You just do auditions and stuff? Yeah, just like roll every day, up at six in the morning, standing outside, auditioning. And there was this shift that I had no control over, which was perception Uh and expectation, just because I wasn't getting sent in for agent appointments anymore. But nothing changed about me and my talent and the work I was doing and what I was bringing in the room. And that's when I was like, I don't think this particular thing works because I understand supply and demand too much. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll start making my own stuff. This is orchestra. This is the orchestra. This is the, orchestra. This is the whole. I mean, kind of like you're going process. through now. It's like some people go through, and then like you walk in the room for the orchestra. Just very. It's different. There's pre-screening, so if you're showing up, but still, you're in the room with a hundred people, all of which all of which could easily fulfill that. That job. Mm-hmm. Is this a holding room? room? Just so I can have it in my brain. Yeah, kind of. It's essentially yeah. thinking of like a holding room, except well, they're well, all holding well, their let instruments. Me, let, me, let me let me tell you, it really has gone down in the past two professional auditions that I've ever mm-hmm. had. You go in, they have multiple days. Yeah. So they have like three days. You go in, you sign in, they hand you back your check, uh, your application fee mm. of $100. Uh, because if you don't show up, they get to keep that money and that's their money. Oh. So you should, it's, it's an incentive you to show up. To you have to pay to audition? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you show, <laughs> no, and then you, no. you buy your plane ticket, you pay right. for your accommodations, you pay for your meals. Oh, my God. Because it's not all, and they then, don't, like, go anywhere to get you. You go to them. No, you go to them. You go to each city. So I'm flying to Minnesota. I'm on your own dime. On my own dime. It's all my own dime. So I, I'm in Whoa. Seattle. I love Nathan Chan. Shout out. He let me sleep on an air mattress in his living room. He he was buying me food. Like, I couldn't let him buy me every meal, but he definitely, mm-hmm. like, was there to And he could do that because he plays in a symphony. Okay, yeah, I was just going <laughs> to ask. Yeah. He's yeah. the third church hell. Yeah, you and Ken have talked if, about him. Yeah, yeah, no, it pays better than uh, being on Broadway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is, so you go, you get your check, 
You sit down. They bring you back to a little area where they have audi- they have like warm up rooms. You walk past maybe twenty people who are all warming up in their own private room, but walls are thin. You can hear them. So you're in your own private room. On the stand, they have okay. Today, thank you for coming and auditioning for us. We are so happy that you're here. Best of luck. And then there's a a list of the excerpts that they're going to have you play. Mm-hmm. They had you prepare a concerto, a Bach movement, uh, and then 20 excerpts. Yeah, I was listening which, to this on your podcast. <laughs> and of which they chose a lot. five. Yeah. And so you just had to be ready. You had to be ready. So you look and you yeah. prepare those. Yeah. And then you go and you perform. You get on stage. Uh, or you get into the back area before you go on stage. It's very dramatic. It's like, okay, uh, they come get you from the the, the holding cell. And they're like, okay, we're going to go into, uh, we're going to go have your interview in just a little bit, your interrogation. Uh, <laughs> just sit here in the waiting just room. Just the lamp. Sit <laughs> here in the waiting room, okay? And then we, they will have you in their office in a, in a little bit. So then you're there for 10 minutes, freaking your balls freaking out in your head. And then they call you, go into the hall, you go on stage. They're about five, six, seven, eight rows back and they have a black curtain velvet in curtain. In front of? In front of them. So they can't see so you. So they yeah. can't see Just you. Here. You can't see them. You're discouraged from making any noises. You've got to be careful how you breathe because- Just Don't you say don't anything. Want, you, don't, you can't say a word. This is my worst nightmare. Because you don't want to give off whether or not you're male or female or you're this or that. They mm. want it to be impartial. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's not terrible, right? It's, it's No, I think it's good, but it is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable because it, it's very sterile. Yeah, totally. So much of who you are as a musician is- Trying to communicate. Who you are. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to act yeah. when there's, it, it feels different when you're acting yeah. to no audience. Yeah. Oh, it's 100%. the value of an audience. That, um, but so you go through that probably, well, why we're to tie, tie it in is that it's a similar principle. You don't take as many auditions. Oscar right. That's what I was trying to say. Right. right. So, that's why it's so weird and different because theater, you, pay, you just, I paid $800 for this audition, this one audition. Theater spaghetti against the wall. Fuck. I better yeah, not That's fuck. exactly right. You take everything. Yeah. And like, so music, it's like, okay, there's maybe three this year. But the problem is, is you might take 15 your whole life. And if and if 100 people there could all do that job, you know, you're fighting for a 1% chance that you'll get this job against people who are all qualified. Uh, in theater, it's also tons of people. Tons of people. In theater, you know, like thousand people could try out for some role. Yeah. And from people who've got like master's degree DFAs mm-hmm. to someone who's just like, oh, I really want to do this. Mm-hmm. And there is a chance that I really want to do this person could be out someone with all the degrees. Yeah. And in music, just for like that weird tradition things, I, I don't know of anyone who hasn't like heavily studied it, gone through the typical traditions, the abbot. No one's just mm. picks up a clarinet. And no, you know right. This will be fun. And in three months, oh, later, no. like, nails it. <laughs> no. like, no, like, they could, <laughs> yeah, like no one, no one just did it as a hobby well, and wound up. They, they don't get an audition. You yeah. have to do it. You have to yeah. submit a, uh, an application. But what's yeah. similar is that you can go through that process. And if you're just not, if you don't hit that 1% chance across those 15 times, uh, like, what do you do? Because you can't afford to keep doing it. So I you forge your own. Yeah. You wind up. What's the one benefit is you can go in and like, just wait. I'm not going to be reliant on these institutions entirely. I can 
you can forge your own path. Well, okay, so yes. that's the question, right? To swing yeah. it back to, I know, one of your guys' favorite topics and where I think we all have ended up as artists in this, like, digital world. <laughs> well, <laughs> so it's my question is, does it help? Like, for me, I look at all this stuff as, the, all the things that I do, as a way for me to add value to myself um, as a, like when people want me to direct or act in something, um, it also lets, gives me time to coalition build, right? Mm-hmm. And create communities, mm-hmm. as, uh, aggregate power, to be quite honest with you. Like all these other things that I do, is that, does that help in your industry? Like it, are tides turning where symphonies are feeling like out of those 100 people, we really ought to be looking at the folks who have followings and audiences in order to like help try to reinstate value in classical music? Say barely, barely. I, I've I've <laughs> okay. had meetings with Carnegie Hall. Never heard back. Yeah. I did. I've done some promotions with New York Phil. They didn't want to pay me any money. Uh, they just gave me free tickets and thought that that was to see. Oh, episode? that's hilarious. Yeah, to go to the oh, show. Free yeah, tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in, in, I don't even want to go. In exchange for multiple posts and 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 links to. <laughs> oh, they didn't even pay sales. you to they be free a spot. Tickets. That's hilarious. They, they see, they're starting to see the value, but it's. It's still like, what is their value? Not how yeah. can we collaborate? They don't understand the space. So, Could you, can you imagine? Like, if you're in a, fil- I don't know, I know you struggle. I've heard you say you struggle with whether you want to do symphony or not. But like, oh, yeah. for me, if I was thinking in my producer brain, I'm a symphony producer. Like, guess how much more I get out of a symphony member who makes fucking Instagram videos? Yeah. Because you're not going to stop doing them. No. You're going to do them anyway. I, might, I actually might, and that's oh. what I'm afraid of. Oh, interesting. Because of how the community may react. <gasps> no, but you have to, because it's the only thing that's going to make the concert music accessible and important. It's very unacceptable. It, it's the, not acceptable in a lot of spaces, especially yeah. in Fuck conservative Fuck well, that's, what, that's it, then you the can't do, do your own thing. The comparison is why I keep bringing up the NFL and not the forensics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just spit, took my but water. <laughs> Good callback. Good but, callback. But, uh, like, why it's like the NFL and that, just like the NFL, which is giant and entertaining, makes billions of dollars, it's a very, as an institution, very conservative. When someone speaks out, they get Kaepernicked. Like you, it doesn't happen. And right. so, even not in, even in a uh, like a speaking out way, but there are barriers to what the players are allowed to do, which the musicians, what the administrators, owners can't just go around and do whatever they want. Right? They don't get it's their brand. They're, they're the brand. They're representing companies. So even if you're in, let's just make a, you're in the Hickory North, you're in the Hickory Symphony. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a uh, not one. Uh, I wish there was. Yeah. There, hey, we, go on and start it and yeah. hire me. I'm <laughs> start my, in my hometown, Gosh, my tiny My first um, summer stock job was in Banner Elk, which I think is really close to Hickory. Banner Elk? Yeah. I know Banner Elk. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Oh, my God. What what else is out there? So my uh, sister. Uh, Grand, or, uh, cows? Or cows there? Grandfather Ma- Mountain. Grandfather Mountain. And uh, what's the, the college town there's, that starts with an A? There's Appalachian State. Yeah, Appalachian State. So oh, are there doing. trees there, too? So many trees. trees. It's a mountain. I, I do have to. I like working on mountains. No, I, I just don't know anything, so I'm just like trying to see things that <laughs> yeah, I might. Yeah, visualize. Like, yeah, are there like? Are, do they have fences there? Yeah. <laughs> Is there air? Do people breathe? But to even so shift one thing about like find the own path and like the difficulties that I think are actually more unique to theater, and that it's it's harder than classical music. The thing we bump yeah. into in classical music. Uh, I'll never forget. I think it was. I think his name's Bob Barker or 
Bob Baker. Baker. Bob Barker's the angry. Baker, he's like the angry Baker, tennis Baker, No, Bob Baker is from Price is Right. There we go. Bob Barker. I was like, I was, <laughs> no, Johnny McEnroe's the angry tennis Yeah, yeah. It's Bill Baker. Bill Baker? It's Bill Baker. Who, whoever, whatever his name is. William Baker. Baker. Mr. No, Baker. He, yeah, I took his class. I should know. Oh, yeah, you were in it? You took yeah, that yeah, class? I took class. <laughs> but, but one thing, he came, so his, his whole thing was he was head of PBS for like 20, 30 years. Okay. Yeah. And so his entire job is making money for the arts. He raised like a billion dollars over the course of his lifetime. And cool. so he came into this talk. And so he's like, how many people are here in music? And most Julia students are musicians. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, okay, uh, well, I'm not talking to you today. How many dancers and theater people do I have? And the eight people is like, I'm here to talk to y'all. He's like, because y'all need this, like the music people, you'll be fine. Because in classical music, there's a very low, it's compared to other fields, there's a low ceiling. Yeah. You for won't, getting you won't make a ton, groups. as far as like money, like for, yeah. for you won't, oh. you can, you won't, you're, you won't make a ton, but we have the teaching system structure, right. the concert system structure, the gig structure. Uh, like you, you can more. always survive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But versus all in theater yeah. and and particularly yeah. dance, like a few people might make a million dollars. Yeah. And then almost everyone else, no matter how good you are, no even if you're successful. Look at the people we know on Broadway. Like you'd assume they'd be like rolling in dough yeah. because they're like they're probably they're doing eight shows a week and then. It's like no, the pink still, contract is like yeah. twenty two hundred a week or something like that, which is our hilarious. is our top contract, except for if you're if you're famous enough, your agent like Andrew, my co-host, uh, yeah, his agent yes. will negotiate more. The only because he's done enough, and, and the only so people, yeah. and so that's what blew Shout my mind. Shout out, to Andrew. Yeah, that was good. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get you come in on, here, bro. Come on, yeah, come on, come through. on, come But it's true. Like it blew my mind because if you play like these symphony players, how many concerts? Would you typically play four or five? Oh, or it's no? like a week. A yeah, week, for a 40, 40 week season. It's Ooh. like 90, yeah, it's like yeah 40 weeks. A year or something like and that. so if you play <clears> one <throat> of the good ones, uh, you're, ma- you're making six figures. You're comfortable. Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. you're, you're fine. But yeah. that's not eight shows a week. No. That's not no. Broadway. No. That's uh, Austin. That's for which also Minnesota. I yeah. assume you still have to pay for lessons. I'm thinking about this now, yeah. but yeah. like you pay for lessons. It's this good because sometimes no. when you're in it, you don't think about this. You're doing eight shows a week. I mean, thankfully, mm-hmm. some of this is covered under contract, but you've got to have physical therapy. You've got to have voice lessons. You're probably still going to dance class, to be honest. Oh, right. Like, we, we, don't future auditions. we don't get yeah. music. It's no, it's I think it's, it's like a once negative. You it, you once you get it, they stop. Done. No one's taking lessons. Really? It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's very wow. odd and it's stunning because I you, when you when you talk to people in other art forms who are always progressing, the best ones, they're going in, they're yeah. still getting coachings. If you're only an opera, like if you're mm-hmm. an opera singer, you'll still go pay. You pay for coachings, you pay this, but that's it. I'm like, going to hire a jazz teacher. Yeah. yeah. But that's still yeah. like yeah. when you're diverting into a new right. field, then it's like, right. oh yeah, I'm going to go study this. But I can't think of anyone who's sitting in a professional orchestra who is like taking weekly lessons. Like, no, they're like, okay, I took all those weekly lessons to get in here and now, now I'm done. Yeah. Back to our like sports thing. That'd be, it'd be mind blowing if you had just spent your whole life going through college, getting drafted, going to play the sport. And then you're like, oh good, we're here. We don't need coaches. Yeah. <laughs> like I made it into the league. That's so interesting. I made it into the league. I don't need coaches anymore. It's weird. But so you have to pay so all you this. Have to do that. Yeah. And, oh. And not only yeah. that, no one stays, no one wants to stay at the same show 
for what was it? A year Some and a people half. do. Like it's that rare. is actually it's a very two different types of personalities. You're yeah. the person that can do yeah. an eight year run with mm-hmm. Phantom or be on the road with you know Book of Mormon for three years, or mm-hmm. you're like not that person. But even still, we're talking <laughs> there are three, people like that in yeah. classical music. Too. But it's yeah. Yeah. we're talking like three years and eight years symphony. People make it to fifty years. It's like. That's it's, it's insanity. There's a in the Atlanta Symphony where uh-huh. I'm from. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, the, 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 there was a bassist. She won like the. She was like the like won the world record. She's the record for like like longest tenure in an American orchestra. She died on stage. She was, like, <gasps> oh, that's amazing! During a concert, she just fell over. And she got in there in like her so, teens. Was she yeah, twenty? Yeah, like I think she's. 16, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah She's, she, she lived through, the, like, World Wars. The assistant playing principal that cellist, one of the filthiest cellists on planet Earth. Uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. To, his name is Daniel Laufer. I love that man to death. I owe that man so much of my musicality, so much of, like, my love for music, because he was my one of my chamber coaches mm-hmm. growing up in high school. He got his job with the Atlanta Symphony on his 18th birthday. Whoa. Never went, even went to college. That's wild. Yeah. He and had still cello, there? Cellist who was father. His father was a cellist who was world famous cellist. The, the lucky thing for the classical musicians, though, is that, is that the music changes a lot. So it is different yeah. every week. So, like, it yeah. does feel Yeah, fresh. that's true. Like, so, like, that's yeah. the... But, You're not doing that But the problem... Yeah. Yeah. But, the, yeah. but as far as, like, from a career standpoint, Broadway... You never know if that is the last show. So you have that anxiety there. Oh, and that's... Like, you're still paying there. And mm. and you're like, do I leave this comfortable thing now? But I've eight days a week, every week, I've done the same role, gone out and done the same show. And it's, you know, year two. And you're trying to move on. Mm-hmm. But it's a risk. You're not guaranteed things like these, like in the classical music world, can be guaranteed. So what... When you realized this moment, mm-hmm. when you were like, okay, this is the rat race. It's not necessarily going to give me that that, sp- that spark of joy. It's not going <clears> to <throat> feed me in the way I needed to. What did you do? Like, the, what was that? Yeah, well, what did, what did you start doing? The first thing I did, actually, well, I had simultaneously, as that was happening, yeah. I had co-founded a nonprofit with Jeff Shade, who was one of Fosse's dancers, called mm-hmm. House of the Roses, which is still around. It's As an amazing you do. You just organization. Nonprofit, I don't know. You know. I'm a serial volunteer. I've been volunteering <laughs> since I was in high school. So okay. like I was like, of course I want to do this. I get to dance. Well, no, this is like a real thing. I have always been able to practice my art through That's giving back. So and no one has so to give rare. me permission to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So like with House of the Roses, at the time this was all happening, good speed and all that stuff, um, you know, we were basically taking dance therapy and creating dance workshops with dance therapy backbone and going into homeless shelters and transitional housing units and community centers and underserved neighborhoods in New York City. So I was dancing three times a week for free, you know, wow. and helping kids. And it was an amazing experience. So that was kind of, I would say, that's the first thing I started doing. And then after I got back from Goodspeed, my buddy, uh, a bar regular of mine from before Goodspeed was like, I'm a manager at Joe Allen, which is a really famous theater restaurant in New York that's been around since 64, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's like, come come down and work at Joe Allen. Mm-hmm. Like everybody who's everybody works there, you know. And it was this crazy experience where I had just gotten back from Goodspeed and I immediately was a waiter there. And so like, 
people knew who I was. And they were like, oh my God, what are you doing here? We just saw you. And, you know, Mac and Mabel, I felt like the queen of the party. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. But um, what we ended up doing with Joe Allen, Joe Allen is really famous for the flop wall. So in 69 or something like that, there was a musical, a Rodgers and Hart musical called Kelly, and it opened and closed on the same night. And the cast... There's this legendary story about the cast coming in after they got their closing notice that night to just drink their woes away until like two in the morning. And they gave Joe a poster of the show and Joe hung it up. So over the years, the entire restaurant is lined with flops, musical flop posters. I love it. That's And so I had gone in 2008, I think. I had gone away to do a show in the summer in, in Cleveland. And I, because I just am a fucking nightmare person who always wants to do 60 things, I was like, let's make a late night cabaret series on top of doing three shows. <laughs> yeah. It's good. This will be easy. Yeah. And so it was like <laughs> Broadway and love and Broadway this and Broadway this. And I didn't have a fourth one. And I was talking to my friend John, who is a director, and he's like, why don't we do Broadway bombs? And so we created that. a very cabaret version of great songs from shows that bombed. Um, wow. inspired by the flop wall, Joe Allen. And so when I got back after that summer, I was like, John, we're making a thing. And so we created the Joe Allen Players, which was a company made of people who were waiting tables at one of the Joe Allen restaurants because everyone was so talented. Mm-hmm. And we wrote, there was a manager who was a writer and you know what I mean? So we wrote these go. shows for like five years called Broadway Bombs. And we just refresh them every year with either shit that flopped that season um, or just new songs that we found that were really great. And so that's Really, that was when I think, like, kind of my debut as make a maker inside of our industry. You know what I mean? Because everybody came to those because we were all working at Joe Allen. And such uh, a great idea, though. Yeah, and in also, fact, a current great idea. I've been gone from Joe Allen now for I don't know, probably since 2011. Um, and this new, there's new waiters, and they're doing I forget what it's called, but they just did a version of this at 54 Below. It's wow. called something different oh, now. But, yeah, 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 totally. And so yeah. I actually, someone was like, what is this bullshit? They didn't even cry. I was like, yeah. I'm so proud and glad yeah. that this idea, which is a pretty low-hanging fruit idea, you know, I can't, like, it's not a genius idea. You're like, hello. But flops. doing it, you did it though. Yeah. But we did it, and we did it for a long time, and we paid all our actors. You know, it was the first time I, like, put something together and was like, we are fucking paying everyone for their time. And it yes. might not be a lot, but we're paying for yes. their time. And that was really there's good so, there's something There's something about that when people make that gesture to get you something. I agree. Something. I agree. Like, I don't pay for when I, I have, I've never had, since doing this, for, particularly for any film, like if I, because I was like, I won't do anything for free, but there's always some budget, but I've always paid the musician because I just know what that yeah. feels like. Yeah. So like Jeremy comes over, it's like, or even if it's a free thing, it's like, I will pay them out of the pocket or budget only for them because then they, you take it seriously, they feel good, yeah. and they'll help you down the road. And even at the Give Back concert, like this concert that I do that raises money for survivors of violence, mm-hmm. I the musicians come and do, everyone told me I couldn't get musicians for free, but I've been so lucky. I've, I have a lot of, you they, know, you, good you friends. Totally yeah, a hundred percent. But you know what I do? We make sure all the swag we're getting from all the brands and companies, mm-hmm. we've got an Oscars swag bag in the green room, right? A big basket for all the performers and they are welcome to stay. We throw the, a fucking banging party afterwards yeah. and everybody hangs out and you have free booze and we give everybody gift bags and we do, and we're really organized. We're very respectful of everyone's time. And so even when, in those instances, like when I was not, I hope this starts to change this year, I can start paying people, which is amazing. But like, like, yeah. even then, I did something. But even then, that's People charity, though. Like, People that's like a, And it's so I can give more money that's, to survivors. That, that's like a different, that's a yeah. different. Uh, 
and I'm right in the trenches with you. You know what I mean? I'm not getting paid shit. It's not a capitalistic or even like a, a, it's not even like your selfish endeavor. Like you're, it's like your show. Yeah. Case in point, when I did my very first show at Rockwood Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. I love Rockwood. I love Rockwood. I want to see you play at Rockwood. I want to do that again. Go back. I I debuted my single. I had like four other people come and perform on that show. Mm -hmm. I made sure... I paid each and every one of them $50. Yeah. They were all like, totally. they didn't expect it. They were yep. there for the love. Mm-hmm. But I I would rather lose money on a show. And it's like, it's something I put together and, and I'm doing it for me. And I was like trying to really, it was my dream child. And they, instead of working on their shit. Yeah, for you. Or, yeah, yeah totally. I, I, I just want to, and I could tell that it meant so much to each one of yes. them that did that. And so when, the one thing I want people to know is if you're building your own projects, you really, you really have to respect other people's time. Time, yes. And, and like, yes, I, I made sure we all hung out and it was a good vibe and they were all right. showcasing their own platform. You gotta have fun. You gotta make it fun for people yeah. if it's not for much money and you've yeah. gotta give them something back yeah. for it. It's, and it's and so important. like what you were doing, it was... Uh, that's the community sure, we even, want. Even That's still, right. if it's not going to, you're still treating it like with professional. It's like, yes. just absolutely. It's, free. it's not a, it's, this isn't a circus. Uh, you're, you're coming in there. It's planned. It's dedicated. There's going to be a party. They're going to be fun. Yeah. So while, you know, of like the checklist of the three or four things that makes a successful gig or whatever, like you're, you've done the other three. Right. Because how many other times have you gotten, there is a check. But it's just a complete dumpster fire right. on the admin side. And you're like, this isn't even worth it. I'd rather go to something for free. Well, and look, here's the secret of it, right? That I don't understand why it's a big secret to people is that ultimately that it all, this is my dick moment, right? Oh, let's go. Bring it out. Whip it, it, out. All, whip it out. Whip it out, girl. It all benefits me in the end, right? Yeah. It benefits me because everybody has a fun time at the concert. I raise a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to come back. The ask is way easier. And if I send an email to some of these writers, for instance, I come to the Give Back concert now, and I'm like, hey, come see this thing I'm directing because I would love to work with you outside of the Give Back concert. People take my emails. And that's because we all go. We have fun. It's very organized. Mm-hmm. You get something for it. And like the end. I they know how you fucking do business. Yeah. Exactly. It's and so self-serving. I love that. <laughs> no, it's, so, it's, it's important. I'm fascinated by sex work, right? I feel like it is, yes, there on one side, it is uh, like the trafficking and the things where, you know, not empowering, but what for what you're doing, I feel like there's like some form of power there. There's like a, you taking the reins, I'm doing what I want, I'm doing how I want to do it. And not to like get too involved with your clients or anything like that. But when do you find that when you're in session, do you find that it, it women find power from this this standpoint or this viewpoint? It definitely is a case by case thing. I think what I've heard people say is most empowering is like not working for minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I really think that the the ability to create your own schedule, to charge your own rates, you know, I think people find a lot of empowerment in how how adaptive and how creative sex work requires you to be because you know I saw this meme on Instagram recently that was like or a tweet that was like people see see sex work as like just showing your ass and tits you know online or whatever or but sex workers are like well no like we have to learn how to market ourselves we have to learn how to advertise we have to learn how to do security we have to learn how to vet people we have to learn how to communicate really well we have to learn how to communicate really well with someone who is going to think that they know more than you because <laughs> um, a lot of especially like cis straight male clients you know are wildly unconcerned about their own sexual health a lot of the time. 
you know, and they'll push for things like not wearing condoms or like, you know, not, you know, being tested recently. And then we have to like. We, yeah. We, we keep bringing it up and I always just say like, sometimes when even like doing the right thing could be the best Machiavellian thing in the world. Yeah. Like, so yes, it's like totally. being a good person is good for business. Yeah. Like, it's like, you should do, you should like help out this person, not only because it's the right, right. thing to do, but also that is, that is also happens to be the best thing for your right. career. And Show it up, helping them out. Even, yeah, that's right. Even just being like, oh, like you want to, you're, you're trying to produce this thing. I know a director who, or producer. Oh, I love connecting thing. people like, in that way. That's, it's my it's favorite. You it's the really easiest do, thing. I do. Oh I my do. God, that's true. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I have to, I have to go back through our texts and all of our, from the different platforms to look back <laughs> and remember, like you've connected me to so many people. Yeah. And it's just out of, like out of the blue. Like, you know, you should talk to this person. But just kind of what you were saying earlier, like be good at what you fucking do. Yeah. Be a dream yeah. to like be a friend w- uh, with. And then all I want to, I know I can put people that are both like that together. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how we, we, like I said earlier, coalition build, get better, garner more power. Like, because I want the people like us to be yeah. the people making decisions, you know what it's I mean? It's like, and I hope people would recommend me, and and I will always recommend them because you'll you'll bump into we, we bump into them all the time where someone won't send something down the line, yeah. Even if they know you, yeah. And it's because of that weird, it's the scarcity mindset. Yes, that's right. And I'm like, that's, yeah, right. that's the worst thing ever. Like almost everything I've gotten has been <laughs> almost every care about that. Yeah, like almost <laughs> everything has been every like interesting opportunity I've done at some point has started out because someone passed it on. Yeah. Every job. I've never sent in a resume cold. No, to no. Some company right. ever. I've worked so many jobs already and I can imagine how many you're talking about your career. Like just how many think of how many jobs we've all done collectively. It probably dwarfs like, you know, hundred parents looking of that generation. And every single one of those it's not walking in cold in my suit, handing a resume. Like, I'd like to work at this Chipotle. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> someone else. Someone yeah. else. Is guac, guac extra. But, um, <laughs> Give me some of that cheese but, but sauce. But literally every, <laughs> every single job has been because I just knew that person. I knew them. And often it was in understudy. Yeah. Someone else had that position. They're leaving. They looked around like, hey, I'm going to help them out. You want to do this? Yeah, sure. And when I left, all I did was recommend everyone else. Right. And there's currency in that, yeah. right? If you know you can make a good recommendation. And I think that's what's missing sometimes. I feel like we just experienced this in theater uh, with something. In theater, there's just such a disempowerment a lot of times, even with some of the people I know who are so successful and they just don't understand or don't feel like they have any agency. And so, for instance, yeah, and I I have such empathy for it. Um, mm. And I've just spent my whole life trying to get myself in another position where that's not the case. Yeah, We're putting these dinners together, these salon dinners that are starting next month, right? Because I've always wanted, I just, I want to revalue the importance of the arts in, in this day and age. And I think a way I can do that with the things that interest me is to put these Jefferson dinners together where you bring Half of the table is business, amazing, incredible business people, and half the people are theater artists. You're an idea machine. A, a machine. This I'm a amazing. fucking machine. Continue. And think how many <laughs> of the things don't get made, like you were saying I with would, the jobs. I want to see this. But anyway. But this is why you need to be idea. at the helm yeah. and have a yeah. whole yeah. Like, cast and crew of people <laughs> exactly. to, like, carrying this execute out. Execute your yes. world building. Yes, like, 100%. Yes. It's a great idea. Yeah, yeah it's so good. So, you know, 
and then everybody gets an essential question around whatever topic we're exploring because, and instead of going to the dinner and introducing myself, I'm Jess, I'm the founder of Broadway Unlocked, to say, I'm Jess and here's my story or my touch point mm-hmm. with this idea that is, uh, this question that is intended to bring up discourse and disagreement and interesting different perspectives. So we're doing these dinners, right? And we're putting, I put together these dinners with these partners that have just come into my life where I was like, ooh, they, this will be useful to them. So now we're, we're hosting them in these luxury apartment show apartments for a, a luxury PR company that needs to show these spaces off. So we're like, and we're looking at one next week that's insane where this dinner is going to be. And then we're putting together these tables where the business people are like, you want to fucking be at that table. Do you know Mm. what I mean? We've got people asking how they can pay to come to these dinners. But when we start, my partner and I, my business partner on this one, we start uh, nosing around with our theater friends. Like, hey, would you introduce me to this person? Are we really like... There's this nervousness and this sort of like butthole clenching where they feel like they can't make that ask and don't understand the currency in being the person who brings that opportunity to someone up above them. Why do you think, why do you think that is that we artists have like this, why do you think it is that we artists have like that, that real, is that, that, that real, like, I don't know, trepidation and, and fear. Is it because we're used to not having money? And so when we're around people that are so used to money that they get 10,000 bucks is nothing. Like, they're just like, oh, I wipe my butt with 10,000 bucks. Wait, you, you guys think- don't wipe your butt with 10,000 <laughs> <laughs> Is there a $10,000 bill? Yes. I don't even know. Bath, bath, and sun. <laughs> no, no but, 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 but who, who uses one bill to wipe? Fair. Dude. You gonna That's need. Fair. You gonna need. Okay. Okay. White, white, I don't have a bidet. White white flush. Okay. White, I got white, white flush. <laughs> yeah. You just take them right Five off the line, yeah, so they're I'm not even perforated yet. Ten thousand yeah. dollar bills. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Yes. Because I'm 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 picky like that. Yes. Yeah. But, why is that? Why but is why that do you do you have do you understand do you yeah. understand my question? Yeah, like, we've talked. We've been talking about it with the time. You seem to over overcome that. Or yeah. Least, are there some things that you've discovered through te- having these dinners? There's, Teach us. Here is a, here's one thing we've talked about We're in trying to notes. pre-solve this. And I, I'm still working on solving this. Okay, cool. We'll, taking notes we'll have, or faking notes? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the joke. We almost oh, called them yeah. taking we notes. Actually How did you say it? that the other day? And I was yeah. like, we yeah. called it taking notes and someone else had done it. Oh, bitches. And then yeah. Drew in one second was, was like, high. I like, like faking, faking notes. notes. It's good yeah. though. It's good. So I think that one thing that's happening is that in theater, I don't know if it's true for your industry, uh, there is a lot of uh, egocentricism and Mm self-servingness where people just ask for things like maniacs with no, no expectation that they should give something back or whatever, right? And so it becomes difficult as a person being asked to ask to discern whether it is a useful or an unuseful ask. And it's easier just to assume that all asks are bullshit in theater. And Hmm. on the other side, it's, I have experienced myself, like someone not even taking the time, someone not even taking the time to look at like my accomplishments and who, who I am coming to them as when someone introduces me and they're just like, no, no, can't, no, no, this is, you know, whatever. Cause you assume they just want to take, take, take. And so I think that's part of it at least. So what are some ways that you think can, that can combat that? I, you know, in our artistic culture. It seems to be a big problem in classical music is the fear of the Really? It's it's the biggest problem because I, I had a birthday party here. 
and people out here in LA have no problem talking about what they do. They sure don't. They, they, Uber they, drivers, my real estate people that look, showed me apartments yeah. before. <laughs> look, <laughs> look, they're like, they, I've had Uber drivers give me their business card. Like, mm-hmm. Let's do business. I tell like, them, I don't tell them what I do anymore here yeah. in LA. In <laughs> yeah, New York, no one asks. Oh, but yeah, here, yeah, every time I get yeah, in an Uber. You say the J word, word out here, yeah. you leave with 15 cars. Yes, like, totally. <laughs> but, but, but what, it's different in New York. It's like people, are, they don't know how to talk about themselves. They don't know how to, to tell their story. And then to also ask another person's story and then find that entry point to where you can you can add value to them. Yeah. And I'm wondering, if, is it just something that we're not taught in school? Is it something as an artist that we, we're not trained to be to look for that? What, what is that? What's up with that? So I don't know what to do about this asking someone to ask for you thing with us. I don't know yet. Yeah. But when I introduce people to yeah. each other, often it's not you with the stuff I introduced. It was faster and in, on Instagram with you. But my friend Michael Littig of the Zuckerberg Institute, shout out. You should check them out. They're awesome. Um, oh, yeah. You met him over email because of Juilliard and the Zuckerberg Institute yes, college yes, thing. Yes, yes, uh, Yes. And, oh no, it's yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he says I write the best email introductions ever, and that's yeah. not because I'm like this is fun. Yeah. It's because I have endeavored to find a way to instantly communicate everything I need to communicate that you can trust this introduction, that it's going to be useful to you, and you're going to enjoy it. So what happens in my email introductions is I'll say like Michael Liddig is, and then I'll yeah. you know he's the co-founder of the Great Globe. Foundation, the Zuckerberg Institute. He's a theater and residence yeah. artist for 20 years with Theater Me Too. Mm-hmm. He also happens to wear the flyest kicks I have ever <laughs> seen. And he's, you know, and I say a couple of personal things because then I, you know, I imagine myself on the other side of it. I'm like, cool. All right. I know this guy is really accomplished and I know he is really fun. And I know that Jess really loves him. Yeah. So it's that third party reference. Like, yeah. The You're setting them up for yeah. success. But that doesn't happen if I'm like, Drew and Trevor, meet Michael, yeah, Michael, yeah, meet them. Yeah, okay, yeah. go. What are you supposed to do with that? Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to have something. It's coming upon me to then say, okay, so I went to Juilliard and did this. Which is the worst. It feels good, yeah. It, it feels terrible. To it, it's, it sucks. You should never have to do that after yeah. you've been introduced. Yeah. So I think that that is the one thing we really want to drive home to listeners out there is if you are connecting people, which honestly, if you're a person that connects people, that is probably the most valuable position yeah. you could have in any community. I agree. Like you are, you are literally like the Atlanta of the music yes, <laughs> the theater. Yes. Or you're like the New York or the LA of the music or theater yeah. community. If people know this person, you're a Clarence Avon. <laughs> Clarence Avon of the entertainment industry. If you don't know who Clarence Avon is, search for him. But the way to get there is edification. It's mm. knowing how to make your person that you're trying to connect, these people, make them realize how badass they are to each other. Yes. And then step away. And that's what you do yeah. better than anybody I know. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. I really enjoy doing it. That's that's that probably helps. a big part too. That helps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> well, Jess, this has been yeah. an epic. <laughs> so good. We, w- we want to tie it up. Let's Thanks tie this up. Coming. Thanks for coming. I have to. I have to say one. It's because I, my sister is a is a listener, mm-hmm. and so she studied theater. Oh, got cool. her BFA. Amazing. Shout out. She worked at the Lost Colony in North. Yes, Carolina. Terrence Mann. For, yeah, for, for many summers, sure, she's costume, sure. And so she's done the, the the whole theater thing, and so I just had had to bring her up. Yeah. I guess like the the last high up um, 
advice for some people out here because I know she went through and experienced a lot of difficulties in the theater world because you have to you have to be the triple threat. You have to be able to survive without health insurance starting out. Mm-hmm. And for other people who've gone through uh, really at the outset, even the first couple of years out, to, to go out and survive in the theater world. Classical musicians, you're going to be fine. But for these theater yeah. people, um, like what is your advice? You've managed to go in, had success, have bumps in the road, change around, constantly evolving. Like if, there, if there's just some immediate things you can say, particularly to the the actors or the future actors listening, what would that be? Find the space in the theater that you love, like, and can't live without, uh-huh. wherever that is. Yeah. And when someone tells you there's a one way to do it, just don't fucking pay attention. Take the time to learn your craft and put not 10,000, 20, 30,000 hours into it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But then open your eyes and look around mm-hmm. and see what you can do to continue to maneuver yourself into that place where you're doing that thing you love and can't live without. Mm-hmm. Like it some for some people, like my friend Andrew, the the prescribed way was the way. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He immediately he started auditioning and it just all snowballed and he has done incredibly well for himself and he saw that and he stayed with it. Mm-hmm. But if it's not working, start pivot turning mm-hmm. to use a dance term and yes. find your own way into doing that. And you don't have to give, you don't have to, just because you're doing other stuff doesn't mean you have to give up saying I'm an actor. Or, you know what I mean? I don't act yeah. full time. I'm still an actor. I still practice my craft. Mm. I can go work with Google or Audible, you mm. know what I mean? Or advise the Dalai Lama's nonprofit. Mm. And I'm still an actor, mm-hmm. you know? I, you don't get to take that away from me. I get to be all of the things. So that's my other piece of advice is remember, it doesn't matter what other people are telling you. You're the thing you put the time into. Fuck. Jess, we gotta get you back. Yeah, we gotta we get, get you. We gotta get you back. <laughs> like, you haven't touched the surface. We're gonna, gonna talk about next voice time. Acting. Yeah. Gonna, next time we'll have about. coffee here. So we can yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, I've already had two we'll today, so it's good. We'll be on bread. That's right. <laughs> so we wanted, like, okay, so we wanted, we wanted to dim down the lights Ooh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the concert hall. The spotlight's shining on you. Where can people follow you? Where can people interact with you? And where are you putting out content that you want people to? pay attention to. Oh man. All right. So you can follow me on all the social medias at Jessica Ryan NYLA. It's closely focused on my life in these two cities, Mm -hmm. a lot of food, a lot of beverage, because I was an award-winning mixologist for a long time. Oh, what? Wait. Award-winning mixologist. Okay, no, no, no. We got to have you back. Yeah, I know. I'll make some drinks. drinks. Yeah, Yeah. some whiskey drinks. So lots of drinks and food on the the social media and also just like a lot of all of the travels and artists that I work with, which is amazing. And then you can listen to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, take me to coffee.com and it's at TM2C podcast on all the social media. And uh, if you want to um, sort of check out the Broadway Unlocked stuff, it's broadwayunlocked.com and specifically the givebackconcert.com. If you want to be a part of our insane worldwide live streamed interactive charity concert, it's a new one coming up in 2020. Let's go. Let's go. go. Everybody go bump her shit. Go check her out and support her causes because if you're supporting Jess Ryan, you're actually supporting <laughs> uplifting communities. It's it's a win-win. So thanks Thank so, you much, guys guys. so much. Thank you guys so much. Let's and, eat. Uh, yeah, let's eat. Let's yeah, eat. Uh, I'm gonna take my pepperonis <laughs> and I'll put them on my face. <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> I try to like end it with a weird. Oh, I love that. That's good. <laughs>